Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 292 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, a guest who has been here more than a few times is back today, Clay Scroggins. He's a good friend, uh, a great thinker, and really kind of a next-gen leader. And uh, today, Clay is going to talk about something that is very close to my heart, which is just distraction. Uh, He just wrote a book about it. I actually just uh, finished a book that has a lot to do with that. It'll come out a year from now. But it is about turning down the noise so you can get healthy. I think this is going to be super helpful. Clay is these days the lead pastor of Buckhead Church, one of the North Point churches in Atlanta. And uh, he's done some, we're going to tell you about it later in the show, but he's done some incredible interviews with people like Sheryl Sandberg and Bob Goff and Dave Ramsey that uh, I'm going to give you access to in a little bit. But anyway, Clay, great to have you back on the podcast. If he's new to you, you're going to love him. If you know him, as many of you probably do, Uh, I think you're going to be so glad to hear what he has to say about distraction. Hey, the fall is here and just in a couple of weeks. I would love for you to join me October 1st and 2nd in Pittsburgh. A lot of you are trying to transition a church or maybe you're trying to transition a business. Um, Next generation succession is a major issue. I'm spending more and more of my time working with leaders on it, uh, helping people solve problems in that area. Having uh, gone through it myself at Connexus Church, now I'm the founding pastor. It used to be the lead pastor. Um, It doesn't always go well. It's gone well in our case. Uh, It's also gone fairly well so far at Amplify Church, which is hosting the Future Forward Conference. And if you can get yourself to Pittsburgh October 1st and 2nd, you will not be disappointed. I'll be speaking at the Future Forward Conference along with Lee Kreitcher, Sam Collier, Jason Howard, my wife, Tony, will be there, and we're going to talk about, uh, well, digital messaging for a new generation, building genuine community, leveraging creativity, world-changing women in ministry, uh, elevate your church's impact. And we're also doing like kids and student ministry and much more. Bring your key leaders so that you can get ready for your next season of church ministry and transition. So head on over to futureforwardchurches.com slash the conference to register Individual tickets are one price, but the price goes down if you register a group. So that's futureforwardchurches.com slash the conference. Also, a lot of you are getting into budget season. How would you actually like to free up anywhere from tens of thousands to perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yeah, how can you do that? By saving on healthcare. You already have healthcare in your budget, and this is particularly for U.S., churches and faith-based or not-for-profit organizations, and you know that can be a huge line item on your budget. Well, what if instead of taking a group plan, you could use Remodel Health to help you rethink how you can customize health plans for each employee, give them, in many cases, most cases, better benefits, and save a whack of money while doing it. So, so far, listeners of this podcast have plowed $625,000 back into their ministries. That's how much they've saved just from this podcast alone. Remodel Health, a startup company, $7.2 million is what they've saved, uh, faith-based and not-for-profit organizations so far, simply by giving better benefits or the same benefits to your members and saving costs. So if you want to know more, 
and why wouldn't you? Head on over to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y today, and you can download their church buyer's guide for free. That's remodelhealth.com forward slash carry and uh, start saving money today. Hey guys, I am uh, so thankful for you and for everything you do. If this episode helps you, uh, would you share it on social? You can find me at Carrie Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, everything we are talking about is in the show notes, which you can find at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 292. And without further ado, my conversation with Clay Scroggins. Well, it is exciting to be in the same room with Clay Scroggins. Clay, welcome back. You are a frequent flyer. All your bonus points are stacked up now. I can't wait to use them. I don't know. What do you get for being a regular you guest get, on this podcast? Uh, well, you get access to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Okay. Which is what most people can have as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. That's, uh, I get time with you. Here, you know know what? You know what? That's the gift. You're the first frequent flyer. (laughs) You get some crisp. You get a bag of chips. A bag of crisp and tasty. A bag of chips. Thank you, Gary. You You are All this can be yours too, people. (laughs) So, Clay, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Great to be here. Gary, we're sitting face to face right now. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Which is awesome. Does um, I my wife listens to podcasts a lot. She was listening to this parenting one the other day. They talk mm. about parenting uh, teenage boys and how teenage boys, if you want to have a, a conversation with them that is fairly substantial and, and you know it's coming, that you shouldn't sit face to face because right. most boys, even a lot of men, don't have the ability to sit face to face and have a real conversation and make eye contact. That is very true. You know, I heard that years ago. So my kids are in their 20s now, but when they were entering into those middle school, high school years. That's why I think a lot of dads, and for me, this was true. Um, the car was the best yeah, thing. The car, exactly. The car, yeah. Because they're sitting right. in the back seat or beside yep. you. Yeah. If you have any eye contact at all, it's through the rear view mirror. That's right. And so you can you, just look they, forward and not have to stare into the eyes of your father. You and know, talk. I'm a repository <laughs> of all kinds of useless information. That's right. But do you know that that was actually Freud's theory of psychotherapy? So when you see the cartoon version, of the patient lying down on the couch. That's why. Yeah. And then and then the ah, therapist is in the chair looking off into the distance. Love it. The theory was that you would be able to say a whole lot more, be a whole lot more honest by not looking at someone. And okay. Then, I think I learned that from Jordan Peterson. But okay. anyway, psychotherapy Well, I'm going to open up my soul staring into your eyes. <laughs> wow. This just, this just got really interesting really fast. That's a that's a good place to start, but you know it is it is interesting because normally, well, you and I have done a bunch of in persons. Uh, last mm-hmm. time you were on, it was an in person mm-hmm. recording as well, and I'm doing more and more of those as time goes on. But it's interesting because normally my interviews are digital, and I was saying I interviewed Ron Edmondson the other night, who will be on at some point on the podcast. And as we were walking away from it, I said, "Real life is so much better mm. because." One of the things you're going to hear in this podcast, because it's normal human conversation, is what you might call over-talking, that you and I are going to talk at the same time, Hmm. which now won't last for long, but maybe three or four minutes or three or four seconds or that kind of thing, where you're saying something I'm saying that's very normal conversation in a digital conversation. And we're going to talk about distraction and noise and the digital age we're in. But in digital conversation, that never works out well. You can do it on a landline. If you're actually on a landline, you can do it. But if you're on a cell phone, you always feel like you're cutting the other person off because there's about a one second yeah, delay. Yeah, latency. Yeah, Latency. See, yeah. you just did it. You jumped in while I was still talking, yep, yep, yep. but it was very natural. Mm-hmm. On Skype, even because that's digital, yep. that would have been really weird. So uh, John, the 
follower of Jesus whom he loved, yes. uh, the Apostle John. He says in, uh, I think it's 2 John uh, verse 12, the only chapter. He says, uh, though I write you now with pen and ink, I long to be with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And I think that's what he's saying, that this, the pen and the paper, that's the technology that we have, but I long to be with you face to face because that's when our joy is going to be complete. That's the, the most real form of communication, which of course makes total sense. So maybe you can tell people in the future, hey, I, though I'm with you now on Skype, I long to be with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. There you go. Hey, honey, even though we're FaceTiming, <laughs> I can't wait right. to get home tonight. Yes, and, yeah, that's right. So 100%. that we both can be complete. Yeah. That's a beautiful love note. It is. It is something that's really, I mean, human beings have always had technology, mm -hmm. but your latest book, yes. tell us what it's called, How yeah, to Lead. How to Lead in a World of Distraction, Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise. Mm. There's a I mean, you're still in your 30s. 30, just turned 39. 39. Last year of my 30s. There you go. You, you've watched technology explode. Yes. And you're one of those people who are becoming rarer and rarer breeds who are not digital natives. Correct. How, how have you seen technology really start to... I mean, you're leading a really big church. You're most recently at Buckhead Church. So. Correct. Um, switched to leading Buckhead Church, yep. which is a church of how many people? You know, uh, maybe 9,000 on a Sunday. So 9,000 on a Sunday, mm -hmm. small church. Small church. Um, it's our youngest church, our most in-town church. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the most urban. So it's, a, it's urban. A, one of the churches that make up North Point. Yep. And 9,000 people on a Sunday morning, which is huge. And, you know, you're a leader in your 30s, trying to lead at that level. Mm -hmm. And you got a million distractions at once. Yep. Um, tell us about the challenges you experience it when you're trying to lead. Well, I'll tell you just one quick personal uh, anecdotal story about distraction that is, it was heartbreaking and sad, but then it turned, now I can laugh at it. But uh, last summer, we're on a family trip. My in-laws who live in Texas, they came into town. No, they, they, they were, they were wanted to come visit us. And instead mm. of coming to Atlanta, they said, hey, we've done Atlanta a bunch of times because obviously y'all live there. Let's go to Chattanooga. Uh, great little town in the south, good for kids, a lot of kids' activities. We have five little kids uh, in between my wife and I, too. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we go to Chattanooga. Uh, I, I had to leave work on, a, I think it was like a Wednesday night. I needed to go back to work on Thursday, and I had some work I had to do on Friday. So I was just going to go up for the evening, have dinner with the in-laws, get our help my wife get everybody all settled in, and then I was going to go back to work early the next morning. And when I pull up to this house, it was like a VRBO kind of situation, um, the owner of the house was standing in the driveway just to welcome, say, hey, here's where everything is. I was the first one to arrive. There were storm clouds, super stormy. Um, I had like seven emails that I needed to finish that I was through self-control not doing while I was driving because that's unhealthy, <laughs> dangerous, and illegal. And, and maybe and it was about to storm 30 seconds later. My wife pulls up with our five kids. They're jumping out. Uh, two minutes later, the in-laws pull up from the airport. So, I mean, it was like a scene out of a movie. Like, just it went from kind of quiet to hectic in 60 seconds. And yeah. I am so prone to distraction. And I go inside, help figure it out, get everybody settled. I think my our two of our kids had found their dartboard and were throwing darts at each other, which I quickly <laughs> put out that fire before someone got sent to the hospital. Siblings are awesome. <laughs> exactly, or lost an eye. Um, help bathe the youngest kid, set up a pack and play in record time. I mean, 
if you want to talk about being a parent, setting up a pack and play is like the ultimate test to parenting because it's so tricky to set the thing up. Um, got everybody all settled in, had uh, put everybody to bed, had dinner with the in-laws, uh, go to bed, wake up the next morning, 5 a.m., go to the shower, and I think, where did I put my car keys? And I thought, huh, I think I left them in the car. Probably not a big deal. Feels like a safe neighborhood. Feels fine. I don't know. Go downstairs, uh, dressed, ready to go to work, walk out into the driveway, and my car's gone. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. And in the middle of all the distractions, I left my keys in the car, and my car was stolen. stolen. Yeah. Wasn't he? Can you call that stolen? This guy left me an invitation exactly. unlocked with the keys in you know, the ignition. I'm glad you bring that up because I really, I mean, for the next, I mean, you know, the stages of grief, you know, the first one is denial. The second right. one is blame, uh, uh -huh. anger and blame. And you blame others, but you also blame yourself. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of like, oh my gosh, I am an idiot. I thought I was, but this, <laughs> this makes this it confirms, clear. This confirms. This confirms I am idiocy. a moron. And I, fortunately, the police officer was super kind. And I said the same thing to him. I'm like, I mean, yeah. can I even claim this on insurance? I mean, how does this even work? Like, I left the, the car open and the keys in the car. And he said, he taught me the laws of- <laughs> With milk and cookies. He said, you know, just, and a note take, that said, enjoy. enjoy. You know, enjoy. you're going to love it. I've had a great time with it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, as an attorney, you wouldn't know this, but he said, yeah, I mean, if you, you can basically about hand your car keys to someone else. And if they go into your car, that's breaking and entering, because that's your- that's your uh, personal property. Okay. And so he said, as soon as they opened the door and went in your car, they're stealing your car. So anyway, I, I, the police ended up finding it a week later. Um, I had to do some, there were some repairs. Was it trashed? It was curious. not, uh, it definitely wasn't in good shape, but mm. it was It was not trashed. I mean, it, uh, it, it's in working shape now. It's doing great. But yeah. anyway, I bring that up just to say, there are so many, I mean, yes, to your point, our world is more distracted today than ever before. I mean, we have never lived in a more distracted day and age than the one we're in right now. And, and there, the, the amount of distractions in life, they're endless. I mean, of course, social media is, I mean, that's probably the biggest change that we've experienced mm -hmm. in life. Um, uh, the, the, the cell phone, obviously, walking around with a computer in our pocket. Uh, but, but the busyness of life, the uh, work, food, schedule, time, ev everything, there's so many distractions and the book's not really about the distractions. The book is about what, what is the distraction keeping us from? That's the fear mm. that I have for myself. That the distraction, I use the illustration of white noise. Uh, I sleep with the white. Do you sleep with a noise machine? I don't, actually. I'm very Still blessed. In I silence? can fall asleep in the middle of a podcast interview. <laughs> no, I'm That's kidding. awesome. I, I actually did fall asleep once. This is like a story at Connexus that... Still makes the rounds from time to time, but we were doing an interview years ago. This is like probably pushing a decade ago. Like a, of a job staff interview? Member, job interview. Okay. We were meeting at a restaurant in the U.S. It was someone we were looking at bringing up. And apparently I fell asleep in the booth during in the, the job, job interview. interview. Mm -hmm. We didn't hire that person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is exactly the reaction that story gets. Oh, my God. And I was like, well, I'd spoken during the day. It was 11 o'clock at night. It was past my bedtime. Right. I fell asleep. Yeah. So, but no, no, not, not usually okay. white noise, not a but noise you do. Machine. I know people who have to have fans, yeah. you know. The Brown, you know what's interesting is I, I do this now. I've asked uh, whenever I'm in front of an audience talking about this topic, I'll just pull the crowd. Say, hey, how many of you use some sort of white noise? You know, any kind of form yeah, of it. You I know, mean, there's an the, app that, that there's won't an app, anything. Any any noise, uh, or even people use the radio. People use the, the uh, you know, turn on the news or whatever. Um, in every audience I have been in front of in the last couple of months talking about this topic, there is someone in the audience who uses. They turn on uh, the office that just perpetually runs in the background while they sleep. The, the show, the, show the, office? the office, yeah. 
I don't know what wow. that's about. So uh, anyway. Yeah, um, you would expect to meet one of those people in your life? Exactly. Uh-huh. Not one. But one in every crowd. Exactly. There's one in every crowd. So what I'm learning, Brilliant. though, is that, that that noise, the distraction, it is a, it, in the same way that white noise masks stuff, it masks the noises we don't want to hear. That's why we use white noise, mm-hmm. because it keeps, you know, like right now, there's sound uh, blocking, sound masking devices in this room, or not devices, but these, uh, these materials, and, yeah, that are, yeah. they're trying to keep that noise from coming in and keep this noise from going out, and this, that's the same thing that white noise does. And that's what distractions really do. That's the danger of them, is that they mask the stuff that's really going on inside of us. And what I've learned in my own life, I've seen it, and, you know, we're all, everything, every, everyone is on some kind of drug, and everything can be a drug. And we all keep our fingers on the dial of noise, and whenever we feel something that we don't want to feel, we're tempted to turn the noise up. And it's easier to do that now than it's ever been before. It's uh, like Blaise Pascal, one of my, I think it was him, one of my favorite quotes, man's chief problem is his inability to sit quietly alone in his room. Is that what you're driving at? I think that is more impossible now than it has ever been before because there's so many opportunities. And, you know, the I, I love the song Car Radio by 21 Pilots. Uh, mm-hmm. 21 Pilots has their finger on the pulse of the next generation, maybe more than uh, more than in most bands, I would say, but um, there's a song called Car Radio where the guy, the, the lead singer, is just talking about how uh, my car radio got stolen and now I'm driving around in silence and all of these fears are about to kill me. Like they're, they're driving me crazy now. And it's not that those fears weren't there. That's the whole song is about basically the, that the car radio was masking those fears. It was allowing him to not have to pay attention to those fears. The car radio gets gone and now all of a sudden, so I think the reason why we can't sit in silence, sit in our room alone and do nothing is because we are so distracted. We don't want to feel what those feelings are telling us. And that hurts. And that's hard. Wow. And it's difficult. So how have you experienced that? I mean, I'm so glad you're writing this book and bringing this message because, you know, I teach on, on time management, energy mm-hmm. management, solitude versus isolation, et cetera. But it's not really fair because I'm in my 50s. My kids are grown. I have a pretty quiet house. Like, and I don't mind sitting alone quietly yeah. in my room. In fact, it's where a lot of my strength comes from these days. But you're in the thick of it. Your yep. kids rage in age. We have uh, our oldest months? is 10. Our youngest is 18 months. So 10, 8, 6, 4, 18 months. You are in the thick of it. Yes. And, yes. and you're leading at a very high level in a very complex job and all of that. So talk about how this has become personal for you. Like, were you saying you're yeah. running away from stuff that you needed to deal with? Definitely. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't say this to comfort myself, though it does comfort myself, but it's not just me. Everyone, oh, no. Everyone's doing it. Oh, 100%. But I, I never, I guess that, that's probably, you know, you should write about things that you're dealing with. I know your burnout uh, didn't see it coming. The reason why it was so great is because it was anchored in your own story of your own burnout. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I thought identity was something you worked on when you were younger and then it got established and then you just live out of it. That life at that point just flows from you, you know? And I just have been, yeah, over the last year, there's been more pressure, uh, in my job, you know, and we've talked about this on your podcast, but because of the changing landscape of the church world, uh, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know. And it's, it's honestly, it's freaking us out because church is changing. 
Uh, church hasn't really changed that much in a couple thousand years. We gather together, we sing some songs, somebody preaches, and we talk about it with each other. Mm-hmm. And we pray for each other, and we share needs and help each other out. But now, because of the internet, uh, obviously things are changing. So that's changed our church so much. So it's it's just created an additional pressure because the uncertainty brings pressure. Uncertainty brings fear. And so I've been feeling all of that. So, yeah, I had this situation, Carrie, that I, I, I was sitting, uh, you you. You are friends with my boss. His name is Lane Jones. He's a wonderful mm-hmm. person. I love Lane. Um, a great boss. And I w- we had a meeting on a Tuesday where it, it was um, maybe the worries, the concerns, the pressure I was feeling showed up on some dashboards in some numbers, right? And so, um, and I start internalizing all of that and feeling, I was feeling a lot. At the time, I didn't know what I was feeling. I just knew I didn't like it and I wasn't feeling good. Um, so I am, saw some numbers you didn't like. Exactly. No leader has ever faced that before. Yeah, what is that? No, exactly. I, I get it. So you're seeing some numbers you don't like. Yep, and I'm going to move the chips. Pardon, yeah. Saying. Well, you know, a lot of people want those chips. <laughs> no, no, I'm not giving them away. Don't take them for granted. Not everyone them. gets them. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I'm i I'm an uber positive person. Yeah, you nature. are. So 100%. From, I, I have a bad day at work about three times a year. So my wife would say this. And so when I have a bad day at work, I mean, she like stops everything like, hey, let's talk. Are you okay? Because she's just so used to going, hey, I was working. It was awesome. Gosh, we had some great mm. meetings. Today. And that's normal. So Tuesday, bad day at work. Wednesday, bad day at work. Thursday, still feeling crummy going like, I got to figure this out. So I reach out to my boss and I say, hey, I need to talk because I'm about to roll into the weekend. I would love to get, you know, work through this before the weekend happens. So, so we meet together on Thursday afternoon at about two o'clock and um, immediately we start arguing about how the meeting went. Really? About, so you and your boss start to disagree? Yeah, like about, because I'm attaching meaning to the numbers, to the meeting. Uh, I'm attaching motivation to it. He's uh, going, I don't know why you're attaching that. Me-. He's seeing it differently. He's disagreeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very healthy conversation. I feel this emotion start coming up in me, um, which everyone has felt before. And you, everyone's had that experience too, where you look at the emotion, you're like, no, 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 not now. Like back down, you know? <laughs> Be polite. Yeah, come yeah. on. And, uh, you know, usually the emotion obeys and it's like, okay, cool. Like, but later, you know, I would love to, I just want to, I want to, I'm, you're, this is what I'm learning. Your emotions are messengers. They're trying to tell you something. That's the whole point of them. So when you're feeling mm. lonely, it's trying to say something to you. When you're feeling anger, it's got a message for you. When you're feeling jealousy, it's trying to tell you something. So at the time, though, I didn't want to pay attention to that. And I'm sitting in front of my boss, and I just lose it. The emotions were basically like, oh, no, we're coming out now. Wow. And so they just came out in the form of sobbing. So you start to... I just sob. start to sob, in fr- which I am not against crying at work. I've just never done it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've cried at a, you know, a story of something great that happened in somebody's life. Oh, yeah, life. baptism cries baptism are different cry. than I'm crying in front of my boss in a and meeting. And I was so embarrassed. Yeah. And then, you know, you have that awkward, because you're a pastor, you get this, but you've sat with hundreds of people that have cried. Oh, yeah. And you never know what to do. You're like, do I stop and let you deal with this? Do I hand you a tissue? Do I make a joke and try to make you laugh? Do I encourage you? I mean, and he was doing all that, you know, and I was like, this is so awkward. He's doing what I've had to do a hundred times or gotten to do. And so I've, I just was hating the moment. And I finally said, Hey, and he, of course he keeps saying like numerous times, he's like, are you okay? 
And I, it was a real tricky thing because I'm like, well, clearly I'm not. No, no, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, what I'm going to say? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. Which is what I said at first. Yeah. Like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Which I'm like, I know I'm not. Classic guy. Exactly. Response. Like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, no, I'm not fine. Look at me, you know? Um, but the problem was I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. I was like, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know what this is. And so he, uh, then the, this was probably the, uh, this is where I hit rock bottom in this moment is my boss, who is a pastor, looks at me, who is a pastor and says, could I pray for you? Hmm. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> do not cover this up with her. Well, I was just Why like, did you say no? Because I was like, I don't want you to do that right now. Like, hmm. I need to leave. That's what I need. And I know you're doing that. He was obviously very genuine in doing that. But I was yeah. like, I got to go. I need to get out of here. Like, I don't need. So I just said, listen, what would be best if we could just reschedule this and talk about this next week? That would be best. So he's like, sure, whatever you need. Then I walk out of the building and I see like three staff members that have like questions about stuff, you know, and I'm like, I can't talk right now. And of course, they're like, what in the world is going on? So I get in the car, driving home. And the emotion is continuing to pour out. Um, there was a lot going on in my life then too, as well. I mean, obviously a lack of margin when we're not pay- when we're running in the red, you know, running hot, uh, a hot engine. Mm-hmm. That's also a uh, you're in worth the red zone. Attention. That's you're right. Tired. All of that was mm-hmm. happening. So I um, I'm driving home. You know, one of those like you can hardly see kind of moments and. I had about an hour, about 30 minute drive home. And then I sat in the driveway for about 30 minutes and I'm just trying to process like, what is this? And I think that moment of solitude was really healthy for me. And I started uh, realizing that I am feeling uh, like a failure and I, I've rarely felt like a failure in my life. And then I was wrestling with, well, am I a failure? And you know, at first I was trying to argue with myself, like, no, you're not a failure. You know, doing the whole uh, Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live thing. You know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, doggone it, people like you, that kind of thing. Which I'm like, that's not really helpful, honestly. Um, I don't want to trick myself into thinking that I'm that I'm winning when I'm not. I mean, there might the truth that at the time might have been I might have been failing. I don't know. And then I don't want to also just go, well, I'm never going to put myself out there again. Uh, you know, the whole Teddy Roosevelt quote about putting yourself in the arena. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love that idea. And so I was really torn. And in that moment, I really experienced, I feel like, you know, in that real communication from God, where I feel like God saying, hey, uh, whether you're winning or whether you're losing, uh, that's kind of irrelevant right now. The truth is you're loved and that mm. matters. And then I cry more because I'm like, oh my gosh, he loves me. Like, you know, then John Mark McMillan starts singing, you know, (laughs) oh, he loves you, you know, so, yeah, um, anyway, so that for me was, that was probably when I, that's probably the most clear example of this lately for me, is that there was this stuff going on inside of me that I needed to pay attention to, and it had nothing to do with the numbers, it was all about something happening in me, but there's so much distraction around, I was just turning it up louder and louder, busyness, uh, progress, right. success, certainty, the appearance of stuff. And I was missing something that was really happening inside of me. We will be right back in a minute with more of the interview with Clay Scroggins, but it's an exciting day. Today is actually release day for Clay's new book, How to Lead in a World of Distraction. It's uber practical. It's helping leaders uh, learn how to turn down the noise on a regular basis And you can get that anywhere books are sold and, of course, Amazon, etc. But I want to tell you about some bonuses that you may not know about. So what you can get today are accompanying video teaching resources that Clay has provided to set up the discussion 
uh, because this is probably not just an individual read. This is something you can read with small groups, with staff teams. So Clay's got some bonuses for you. Video resources that you can get. When you order the book, you'll get Clay's video interviews discussing leading in a world of distraction with such leaders like Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook, Bob Goff, Dave Ramsey. Plus, if you order 10 or more, you can also get a study guide to accompany the book, plus three other videos of Clay teaching through the concepts in the book. And if you got a big team, you want to grab 50 or more books for your entire team or staff, you will get all this. Plus, get this, Clay will Skype into one of your staff meetings to give a talk about the book and do a Q&A. Now, I want to ask Clay, what happens if you buy 1,000 books? This is, this is my proposal. If you buy 10,000, let's say 10,000, because otherwise I'm going to have to do this. He'll probably come to your backyard and grill on a big green egg. I don't know. Is that true, Clay? Anyway, these bonuses are available for a very limited time. Uh, so you want to head on over there right now. So go to clayscroggins.com. You will get these bonuses. I'm kind of kidding about the big green egg. Uh, but you will get bonus videos And then you buy 50 or more books, you get Clay. He will Skype into one of your staff meetings, give a talk about the book, do a QA. and a Pretty cool deal. Those are the free resources available right now during the launch window for how to lead in a world of distraction. And now back to my conversation with Clay, who didn't know I said the part about the big green egg. Let's uh, pick up the conversation where we left off. So this had been building for a while. Yeah. Wow. What? um, Okay. I, I don't want to turn this into a therapy session, but this is really interesting. First of all, I think almost all leaders have been there. Secondly, and I don't want to turn this into gender stereotypes, but I think as a rule, women are better at understanding and processing their emotions than men are. Yes. Because men have two dominant moods, yeah. happy, angry. Yeah, that's, that's right. It. That's right. Happy, angry. You're yeah. angry three days a year, so that's not too bad. Yeah. Well, um. What made you sit up? Are there things you could have done before that Certainly. that would have made you yeah. more sensitive to the yeah. fact that there's a little storm brewing? Yep. There's some clouds in the distance. Yep. And the here's what's probably the, the, the worst part of the whole problem to me is what you lose when you miss out on what's really going on inside of you. That it makes you a... On the positive side, you're a better leader when you are growing emotionally. When you're becoming a more emotionally healthy person, you're just a better leader. Uh, Daniel Goleman's work that he's done on emotional intelligence is phenomenal. I mean, yeah, it's seminal. Uh, primal leadership, chapter one alone, is just remarkable literature, in, in, uh, in my opinion. But it's also research based that, hey, mm-hmm. great leaders are emotionally healthy people. And if you want to become a better leader, you've got to become more emotionally healthy. So, You don't have to be, you know, no one's ever going to be emotionally perfect, but you need to be, I love the way Sean C says it, that you need to be trending toward emotional health. Yeah. That are you more emotionally healthy today than you were yesterday? And turning up the noise, turning up the distraction and and masking what's really going on inside of you is dangerous because it will, it produces a worse you. It produces a you, a version of you that is not capable of connecting well with others empathizing well with others, regulating your own emotions well. I mean, in that moment, I had zero regulation of my emotion because I was just done. So yes, it caused me to look back and go, okay, well, what are the things that I need to be doing that I'm not doing to become a more emotionally healthy person? And that's really what the, for me, the four habit, simple habits of turning down the noise 
And I want to get into those habits in a minute, but just for clarification purposes, emotional health is a big buzzword right now. Sure. Emotional intelligence. A lot of work EQ, out there. Yeah. Emotional intelligence, yeah. emotional health. How is what you describe a problem in emotional health? Because uh, we've all been there, right? Yeah. It's like these emotions sneak up on us. Yep. How, just to, to, to yep. connect the dots, how is that a sign of emotional ill health? Well, because there was something that was happening that I was not aware of. And so ah. at the very baseline level, emotional health is being emotionally aware. At the very least, it's right. knowing what you're feeling. The next level would be getting underneath it and, go, and knowing why you're feeling it. But at the very simple level, I did not even know what I was feeling. And the problem was I would be sitting in meetings and, and then people, you know, naturally when I started realizing it, waking up to it, um, people over the next couple of months would say, you know, this kind of makes sense. I've kind of noticed that you've been kind of, uh, feels like you've just been a little, I like the word turnt lately, you know, yeah, yeah. cranked on the inside. You know, you seem more dissatisfied. You seem uh, quicker to be upset. You seem a little right. more on edge. Because it doesn't always show up. No. As I'm bawling in my boss's office no. or crying on the way home. Exactly. So what are some other signs? Yeah, you start leaking. You know, I... Uh, leaking, that's Debbie, a great phrase. Debbie Causey runs all of our care stuff, and I, I had the same conversation with her going, hey, how can we pay better attention to this? And I love her answer. She says, when you start seeing people give a dollar response to a 50-cent situation, that's when you know there's something happening there. Wow. And that's what I started seeing in myself. I started getting worked up about... I mean... You know, uh, Andy Stanley called me at five o'clock on a Thursday to tell me there was something that was coming up on Sunday that he was not, that he was curious about, or he was kind of frustrated about. And that ruined my weekend. That's a problem. That's not his problem. That's my problem. Right. Disproportionate reaction. Completely. I gave a dollar response to a 50 cent situation. I mean, that should have, I should have paid attention to it. I shouldn't have been disconnected or detached from it. I should have listened to him. I should have uh, addressed his frustration, but that should not ruin my weekend. Yeah, that 10-minute phone call exactly should have been resolved at the end of the 10 exactly. minutes as opposed to it lingering all day Friday. You're That's like, exactly Jenny, right. I'm so frustrated. Right. And, and, and of course, she's annoyed by it, and she's going, I think you need to process that with some other people. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, I think the, the overreaction to stuff, the, um, you know, sh- losing our patience, you know, the, the, my ability to, this is another big learning for me is my, my inability in that season to reframe things positively. That is an indicator. A lot of times. Oh, that's good. Because especially, and it's all dependent upon your wiring on how, how good you are at doing that, how quickly you do that. But in the past, I was so quick to reframe something as positive. And it was just taking me a lot longer to do that. It was taking me, uh, minutes instead of seconds and then hours instead of minutes and then days instead of moments Mm. to go, wait a second, here's really what's going on. Let me reframe that. So I think there's a hundred and they're all unique to each one of us, but being able to pay attention to those and know, okay, am I masking something? Is there something going on that I'm not paying attention to? And we've all seen it. You've seen it in other people. That's the problem is it's easier to see in other people, but you've seen where other people are you know there's something going on inside of you, but you're just working more or you're just right. working out more or you're just shopping more or you're just on social media. So you're turning up the noise. You're turning it up, yeah. So that you don't have to pay attention. So you Can I say, I, just for clarification, um, I, I love how you say to positively frame, reframe it. Do you think sometimes it's a question of even accurately framing it? So for example- That's a great point. Andy's 10-minute phone call with you or whatever yeah, it was. right. 
Right. Which is, I, I always think of it, let's say it was a three out of 10 on the Richter scale. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't exactly. a big deal. Right. It was like a little trim. But it was, it was not like, nothing. It was something. Don't do this. It's right. enough for Andy to call you on mm-hmm. a Thursday mm-hmm. when Friday's your day off, Saturday's an off day, and then Sunday's mm-hmm. the big day. And, but like not even accurately, right? Like you should treat a three out of 10 like a three out of 10, not yep. like a nine out of 10 or yep. a 12 out of 10. Or, Conversely, a one out of ten. A one out of ten. Oh, it's just Andy. Yeah, I'm done. Everything's uh, good. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. So yeah. what, Andy? Yeah, right. 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 No, no, no. Andy's yeah. upset. You You're should, exactly You right. should engage that. That's right. At a level. And okay. so you can't just positively positively reframe it. That's yeah, a great yeah. point. You do need to accurately reframe it. You need to say, no, that was something. I need to pay attention to it. But then, uh, you know, I've learned this from Pete Scazzaro, but learning mm-hmm. how to differentiate yourself, learning how to go, hey, I can be connected to him. I can be connected to her but I don't have to be controlled by her or controlled by him. I am my own person enough to where I can reframe and continue to move. Which is hard on a whole other level. We have a lot of senior leaders listening, but we also have a whole lot of other leaders listening. And if you're not the CEO, if you're not the lead pastor, I mean, Andy's a big figure. He casts a big weight. I love Andy. He's been on this show before. I'm sure he'll be on it again. Uh, He is in many ways our big boss. That's right. But... You know, he throws a huge shadow yeah. and it takes a lot of security yep. to work with or to work for or alongside a high capacity leader like that. I agree. Has um, that been part of the journey for you? Definitely. Learning to get secure? Definitely. Um, and I think my, I guess my, my concern for myself over the last six months was um, I was hoping I would be getting better at that and not worse at it. And so that was really another thing that caused me to pay attention was why am I, uh, as a, in my late 30s, having a harder time with this than ever before? And it was— That's really interesting. It was the—it's the noise. It was the busyness, the distractions. It was everything else I was, I was turning up, that there is this regular maintenance of your soul that, has, that so many people have written about and talked about and covered, but I was covering up. I was denying or avoiding or— um, not doing some of the uh, those regular uh, opportunities of maintenance that we all should be doing, and those are really what I mean. There's there's a hundred habits we could be doing, mm-hmm. but I tried to write about four of them because these were the ones that were most important to me. And these were the things you were neglecting or hadn't developed. Them. Correct. Yeah. Why don't we go into those habits? Well, I'll just real quickly. I mean, these are not new. They're not. None of these are rocket science. I mean, you hopefully, you know, there's probably one of these that you're naturally doing, and there's probably a couple of them that you're naturally avoiding based on your temperament. But um, learning to get quiet on a regular basis is harder for some people than it is for others. It's hard for you. A hundred percent. I mean, you are are like an extrovert. You light up a room. Flaming yellow. Yeah. Yeah. What's your Enneagram? Seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course you're seven. Yeah. Everything's fun. Everything's fun all the time. Everything is fun all the time. When I was single, I mean, this is the great thing about the way life, the natural progression of life. But when I was in my early 20s, single, or even mid-20s, I was never alone ever. I mean, I had people. It was a part. I was looking for the next party all the time. Sevens stack up fun things to do. And they're constantly (laughs) planning in the future of what's the fun going to look like. And that that is 100% me. So, yeah, that one's really difficult for me. Uh, to learn to get quiet. Um, I've got, because I'm a morning person though, I've got a great opportunity to do that if I want it. It is pretty um, quiet at 4.30. I yes, think it I've, is. 
I think we've texted each other <laughs> before yeah. 5 a.m. at times. Yeah, and that was probably me trying is... to avoid the quietness and the silence. <laughs> but, you know, going, who can I talk to? Carrie's up. I'm up. He's up. awake. I'm up. That's what all my <laughs> friends right. say. Oh, Carrie's up. He'll take my text. So getting quiet yeah. is one. Uh, speaking to yourself mm. is another one. That one's the one that uh, I am learning to do uh, probably more than any other. But it is amazing how... Talking to, you know, that conversation you have with yourself, it's the longest running conversation of the day. You talk to yourself more than anyone else. And learning how to do that appropriately, effectively, in a helpful way is so important. I think it's what, it's the power of memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture is a form of self-talk. You know, reminding yourself that, God, you are strong. You are courageous. You allow, excuse me, you, you are strong and I can be courageous because of you. Learning to tell yourself that uh, is powerful. I think when, you know, the first, first few centuries, we recited creeds together as the church. That's a form of self-talk. Speaking it reminds to your soul. you, it anchors you in exactly. reality. Exactly. Um, finding your why. Getting, this, is, um, this is not easy to do. This sometimes takes help from others. But getting underneath your stuff and going, why am I doing that? Why mm. is that there? Um, there's always something underneath. You know, if you're Can you getting, give me an example? Like, yeah. why am I what? Yep. So for me, it was filling up the calendar. Oh, okay. And I knew if somebody were to ask me, hey, how's your calendar? And I, I, I you know, of course I hate it when other people wear busyness as a badge, but yeah. in my mind I do. In my mind I'm thinking, yeah, I'm pretty busy. And pretty there's busy. something to that. And so getting underneath that has asking myself some uh, self-regulating questions as to why am I saying yes to this? That simple exercise has helped me so much in my own personal life. That's so true because your calendar, that's kind of your deal. Yeah. And a lot of times we don't take responsibility for it. And we like to think that somebody else is making our calendar busy. Right. But the truth is I'm saying yes to the stuff. And so my, uh, I work with Megan Gross. She, um, we, she helps me at work as an administrative assistant, and she is fantastic about, she's basically asked me, okay, what are those self-regulating questions that you want to ask? And I'll help you ask those. And so one of them is uh, simply, why am I saying yes to this? I mean, that, that question alone is really, I mean, that, I know that's broad and general, but it, what it does is it forces me to say, you know, just to answer the question, why am I saying yes to this? Well, so what's under that? Uh, I feel like I owe this person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that happens. You know, they did a favor for me. They're asking something of me. Now I feel like I owe it to them. Okay, well, just at least say it, you know. Then if, you, if that's a good answer or not, that's fine, but uh, you need to at least answer it. Um, I'm saying yes to this because I'm afraid if I don't, I'm going to miss out on something in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm saying yes to this because I feel like I have to. I'm saying yes to the, uh, Another question that's been helpful for me is, is there anyone else that can do this? That's real simple, and, but it's helpful. And so whenever a request comes in at work, I'm trying to ask the question, is there anyone else that can handle this? Not in an avoidance kind of way, but in a uh, empowering, sure. I want to give other people as many opportunities as possible kind of way. Those questions help us clarify what is underneath. And if you can teach yourself that habit, it really allows you to quiet the distractions, of quiet the noise, and figure out what are those things inside of you saying. Do you ask those questions out loud? Uh, I don't. I assume you could. No, I'm just... Curious. I have not thought to do that. No, I, I just, because it's, it's funny, no, saying yes, saying no is a big issue mm-hmm. in my world these days. And I have elevated that to team discussion where oh. I'm like, why would I say yes to this? 
what would the reason be? What would the pros? What would yeah. the cons be? And letting other people weigh in too is. I, I are you actually having? Oh a yeah, no, we're about? actually having real conversations. That's fantastic. Uh, at home, sometimes with Tony. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. with my team. Yep. And it, it's really interesting because getting other perspective, it's like sometimes I realize I don't need to say yes to this. I really <laughs> right. don't. Right. But if I was left in my own little head, in my own little world, exactly. I would. Yeah. Like I said yes to something this week, and someone asked me to do a blurb on their book. And my staff is going off for the weekend. I got a lot of stuff I need to accomplish. I'm going on holiday in a couple of weeks. Mm. And why did I say yes? <laughs> I bet you, you know, if we had a dollar for every leader listening to this podcast saying, why did I say yes to this? Yep. Man, we would be able to buy everyone a bag of yep. chips. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Big. It would be that big. Uh, Greg okay, so that's good. Essentialism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that is such a great resource. He's, I mean, he gets so practical in that book. There's a chapter on how do you actually say no, which was so helpful for me. Yeah. Which, and I felt so dumb at first being like, why is that so helpful? Why don't I know how to do that? But I don't. I do not. And so reading that chapter, I was eating it up going, no, please tell me. How do you say no to something? So can you walk us through that? Because that is a big issue for a lot of leaders. Like, what are some of your filters? Like, um, what have you learned? What did you used to say yes to that you now say no to? I used to say yes to every random breakfast or lunch. I mean, I learned from you uh, in, uh, what, what is your workshop called? The High Impact Leader. The High Impact yeah. Leader. You talk about saving your best time when you're at your best for the most important activities that you yeah. have, the most important things. And so there was, uh, I, I have not eliminated, but I have definitely, um, I'm doing less. I say random. They're not, ra- the people aren't random. These people are precious yeah, sons yeah. and daughters of God. But uh, they're not strategic in, my, in what right. I'm trying to You're do. You're not filling up Monday to Thursday with breakfast, breakfast meetings. Exactly. Yeah, which because I, you're a morning person. And I need to save that time to do those important tasks that uh, would make that time the most effective use. Um, so I would just say breakfast and lunch is those. But there are definitely, um, there, are, there are situations where I, I would be prone to jump in and fix, whether it's there are some situations that I would have called a crisis in the past that it's not actually a crisis. Can you give me an example? Because that um, is a big issue for a lot of leaders. Like just pull one out of the air. Someone calls and needs to meet because they've got a difficult relational situation. And, you know, of course you ask we're the important questions. Up. We're Exactly. We're going under. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to ask the questions. Is anybody, is there a life or death situation? No, there's not. Well, then this is going to, uh, could is, could I introduce you to somebody who could really help you? I mean, I've watched Andy do that. Andy does this remarkably well. He's a master. Yeah, he really is. And I've learned, you know, it's I make myself feel guilty when I watch him do it because I think, why can't I do that as well as he can? Um, we're wired so differently. And so for mm. me, it's just, it's. I think it's harder because of my wiring. I think in his wiring, it's probably a little bit easier. But it, what, what I've learned from him is he, he uh, categorically says no to things. And that's actually very helpful that if you can make yourself say, like we're doing right now, we're, we're categorically eliminating certain things from the calendar. And that's helpful because then the next, you know, it's easy to do when it's not a person. It's easy to do when it's a category. But when the situation comes up and it is a person or it is a specific situation to know that you've categorically said no to. I mean, uh, I've had to say no to any travel that's going to cause me to be away for more than one night. 
Yeah, so, that's a category. That's a category. So, so if I invite you to my three-day event, exactly. I'm automatically out. Exactly. Which, is, if you invited me to your three-day event, that would be so hard because I'd be like, oh my gosh, but it's Carrie. You know, like, yeah. I love Carrie. That's going to be so much fun. We're going to have a great time. But then you and I have a conversation about, I can do your event as long as I can fly in before my talk and exactly. fly out right after. Fly we're, out, yep. fly in before the dinner, fly out after, we're, right? we're in Dallas, Texas right now doing this conversation, and I flew in this morning, left at 6 a.m., which is unbelievably early. Yes. But the flight leaves at 6 a.m. Correct. Land this evening at 10 p.m. So, you know, that— that the, you, the, you, You're going to be home with your family. Tomorrow morning, I'll be right back in the school routine helping, helping out, which is super helpful. So— um, I, I went through three of them, though. If I can yeah, let's go to number four. So uh, getting quiet, speaking to yourself, finding your why, and then pressing pause. Mm. Um, it's the one that I like. I, I probably have an, this one's pretty easy for me. I, I, as driven and ambitious and wanting to make the most of this life as I am, I can press pause pretty easily. You, can, you love I love fun. And I love the weekend. I love mm-hmm. leisure. Um, and all that is just, it's so important. One, one of the things I've learned that is helpful about it is, you know, sabbat- it's, a, it's the Sabbath. It's sabbatical. It's learning to press pause on life. And it's such a spiritual exercise because it teaches us that, hey, the work's going to get done without you and you're going to be okay without it. And both of those things are really important because it, I feel like it puts us in our proper position to know that life doesn't depend on us. Um, I, you know, this is <laughs> at work. We talk about this a lot, but everybody's replaceable. And we, yeah. we try to say, oh my goodness, if we were to lose that person, whatever, whatever, which is true. People are wonderful and they're important and they're special and they're unique. But if somebody moves out of a role, the earth just fills in, you know, it's amazing how that yes. works. Like if you and I die tonight, it would take about a week and mm-hmm. then maybe not even a week, maybe Relight. a couple of days. What was that guy's yeah, name, what was again? name again? What was, what was, and people uh, just that's my wife. She's it, like, what was his name? My first husband. Again? I can't remember. That's right. This new one is way better. <laughs> I know. I know. Better looking, <laughs> richer, the whole deal. I just think learning that it's really, it's a key to humility. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's being in touch with our, uh, our humanity. And it's just so, it's such a healthy thing to do, but it's, it's the power of turning down the noise. It keeps mm. those emotions regulated. Uh, it keeps you aware of them. It allows you to stay empathetic towards others. I think it's, it is the key to leadership. And that's the big idea of this book is that great leaders turn down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of their emotions. That's what great leaders do. And so if you want to be a great leader, if I want to be a great leader— I have to turn down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of what's really going on. And if I don't, it's to my detriment. And if I do, I will be a better leader. So number four, pausing is easy for you. Of your list, that's by far the most difficult for me to do. Why is that? I don't know. It's a really good question. I'm good at asking why. I think I have to ask why to that. The easy answer is I love what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably if there's a deep fear under my life, Dr. Scroggins, you actually are a doctor. Um, it would be it would be uh, a fear that I'm lazy and a fear that I'm not accomplishing enough. Mm. And I've talked to my wife about that. And of course, when you say those out loud, you're like, I'm the last person good. that any of my friends would ever call lazy. Yeah. And uh, what is the significance thing like <laughs> with your life? Like, come on, what is, what like, is behind when, that? Yeah, when is it going to be enough? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If more is your standard, you have a problem because there's no end to more. But Carrie, I want to ask- that gave me goosebumps that you just answered that question so 
honestly. Well, because that's, uh, I don't know why that even makes me tear up to think about how, I don't think most people can do that. And I, that's very admirable that you can. I've spent a lot of time in your first three questions <laughs> over the last 20 years. Yeah. And they're really good questions, Clay. Well, they're thanks. really good questions. And you only get to grow. And I mean, I think the ancients did call this sanctification. That's right. We're all works in progress. Yep. What I want to know is when you felt you were failing. Yep. Like on that bad week yep. where you're yep. crying or Andy's calling you Thursday at five o'clock. Did you still press pause? I think the activity of it, I probably did. But my, my struggle is learning how to do that mentally. Because what I would do is I would work Friday. Yeah. And then I would work Saturday. Yep. And I would overcompensate yep. for that. Yep. And I think that's a tendency among a lot of leaders. Yep. And I'm just curious. Like, I'm always envious of people who push pause well. I, I think I push pause on activity, but I think there's a, I have such a, my fear would be there's, there's fears at home of, you know, that my kids would think their dad was too distant or too, I don't know. Whatever those fears are, those are yeah. stronger. Well, but, and five kids. That's a good argument. Yeah. yeah. Or that my wife would be frustrated at me because I'm too worried, you know, <laughs> yeah. but that one's pretty strong as well. But um, I have a harder time pressing pause mentally. Uh, those mental loops mm. to calm those, that is really difficult for me. So I will let that rattle around for the whole weekend. And um, that's probably the, that's the pressing pause for me is going, I'm going to set that aside I'm not going to avoid it, but I'm just going to wait, and I'm going to deal with that on, in our case, Sunday morning. Um, that's, that's probably the harder part for me. Well, um, on your good weeks, normal week, do you still play the mental loop game? Because I hear that from a lot of leaders who's like, the reason I can't sleep at night is because I'm just doing the endless replay in my yep. head. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm off on Saturday but I'm staring off into the distance. Yep. Like I'm not, I'm home, but I'm not really home. I'm yep. there, but I'm not really there. Yep. Uh, what do you, what do you find with like shutting down the mental noise? Um, as far as how to do that yeah. or even, is that a thing for me? Is it easy for um, you? And, and then how do you do it? No, I just think the, I think what, what I'm trying to help people do, what I'm trying to do myself is the way here, here's what our, we're, what we're prone to do is we're prone to turn up the distractions and avoid those loops, those mental loops of, well, why does he feel that way? Or all those, all those quiet conversations, imaginary conversations we have in our head. Well, you know, why isn't he pleased about this? Or why isn't she into this? Or why is she frustrated about that? Or why did she say what she said? Or he said what he, it's, we turn up the distractions and we binge on Netflix or we just dive deeper into, we just keep scrolling our thumb on Twitter or we right. just work more or we work out more, or we eat more, or whatever it may be learning to identify that noise, to turn it down, to address the stuff head on and to go, why am I so concerned that she's frustrated about that or that he's frustrated about that? Mm -hmm. I got to get underneath it. That's the finding the why, the self-talk, the speaking to myself is going, hey, well, what if he is upset? So what? Like, is that the worst thing in the world? Like, no. Okay, well then address the frustration is whatever. And then let's move on. So I, I, I'm not saying necessarily press pause on those loops. Don't turn the distraction up so loud that, that, you you're, ignore avoid, that you're ignoring it and that you're avoiding Is it. Is there a middle ground in this then? In other words, you turn the noise up, you kind of avoid it, or you just, I think Daniel Goleman calls it rumination, mm -hmm. where if you've read emotional intelligence, it's mm -hmm. just that loop plays over and over and over again. 
maybe I could have done this with Andy. Maybe Andy's wrong. Maybe Andy's right. Maybe I'm in trouble. Maybe I'm going to lose my job. Maybe this, maybe that. You just, you almost catastrophize in your mind. You ruminate, but it doesn't produce anything. It's that middle ground yep. where the noise, you just kind of bury it. And but the really smart thing to do would be to talk to yourself. Yeah, to, address it. To address it. Exactly what you yeah. say. That's helpful. Maybe addressing it is the middle ground. Maybe that's it. Because yeah. I, I think the, yeah, letting it ruminate, the rumination, that's not healthy either. And, and, that's, and that's why we hate the solitude. That's why we don't like getting right. quiet. Because that's when those voices are loud enough. When the car stereo gets stolen, that's when those fears are loudest. But instead, addressing the fears. I mean, loneliness, you know, I've, I feel like I have uh, tried to work through, we, we all face loneliness in different ways. And mm. we all meet, we, we try to match it in different ways. Some of us, it's amazing how loneliness drives people into isolation sometimes. Yeah, it does. Which is bizarre. And then sometimes loneliness causes us to be with people all the time and never alone. And mm. we, we, op, we, we respond differently to it. But to understand that, hey, um, Jesus faced loneliness head on on the cross. I mean, in that moment when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing the deepest loneliness that we could imagine, that the father had actually distanced himself from him. And he took on that loneliness so that we would never have to be alone. And in that moment, one for us, the fact that God is with us forever. And so even though, you know, I think loneliness is a dangerous emotion because it lies to us and says we need to do something with it. And the truth is, we might just need to be okay with it and go, hey, loneliness, I'm not, I don't have to be lonely because I'm never really alone. But yet at the same time, I was designed and wired for relationships. So I do need to be with people. But I don't need to be with people all the time. I need to be comfortable to be with myself as well. So I guess what I'm hoping people will do is learn to turn down the noise low enough and long enough to address those, to be ruthlessly curious of, okay, lonely. Why am I feeling lonely? And what does God say about this? What would he want me to do with this loneliness? Insignificance. I mean, your question of when is enough enough? I mean, just to be able to get under that and go, okay, I've got my own blog that has millions of Clicks. I've got a podcast. I'm getting to speak at South by Southwest. Like, when is going to be enough? Like, what's going to yeah. be the thing, you know? And, you know, it's interesting because I think there is a cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. when that plays under the surface, mm-hmm. when you're not really paying attention to it. It drives me in an unhealthy way. But I think I'm at the point in my life where when I actually pull that up and say that out loud, yep. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I can just go have a relaxing day with my wife. Yep. And yep. I can actually unplug, but it's that it's the unaddressed, unconfessed, unaddressed and unconfessed. Mm-hmm. Put that Those in the sermon. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's Clay, uh, other practices that have really helped you because you're growing in this area. And what are what are some practices that leaders can embrace? And then well, I know you got a couple of stories you want to tell too. Yeah. Um, the I mean, I would. Those four practices are the ones that I'm working on, but there's bunches of, I mean, I really think any spiritual disciplines in and of themselves are, they are practices of turning down the noise. Um, Oh yeah, they are. Prayer is a, a, you know, mindfulness is such a big buzzword right now in culture. Um, I feel like mindfulness is a way that we prepare ourselves to pray. It's a way that we get ourselves in a state where we can pray. I feel like we are I mean, prayer, that's one of the dangers of distraction is prayer has become harder than it's ever been before. I mean, how many people can just sit there and pray for five minutes, you know, 10 minutes? I mean, it is really difficult these days, especially because I think social media, our phones, it's rewiring our brain in a way. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think, you know, reading the Bible is really a form of self-talk. It's, it's speaking to ourselves. It's letting God speak to ourselves. Um, even hospitality is a form of turning down the noise. I think it's a way to go, I'm not going to worry about my needs for the next couple of hours. I'm going to worry about this person's needs for the next couple of hours. And that process, I think it allows us to, it takes the spotlight off of our own stuff and puts it on somebody else's, which is the most therapeutic thing that could happen to our own stuff sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say uh, fasting, That's the, the essence of fasting is I'm going to turn down the my need for food and instead focus that on something else. I mean, or whatever you fast from. I mean, for me, I did a month fast from social media and it was remarkable. I mean, I couldn't believe how much I loved uh, what it did for me. Um, Tell us about that. Well, it taught me, number one, that I'm not addicted to social media. That was good to know. It was pretty easy to give up. It was. It took like a few hours. Yep. What I learned was I am addicted to my phone, though. <laughs> That's the danger. Because I think in the past I would have said, oh, my gosh, I think I might be addicted to Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And I'm not because I gave it up pretty easily, but it didn't slow down my phone usage. I just found other things to do. Like, I checked the weather incessantly during that month. You know? Like, <laughs> what's it going to rain today? Jenny, it went up one degree. <laughs> yeah, Look exactly. at that. Look at that. Listen to what the degree. humidity is today. How about that? Um, I just, but, but, you know, the... I think at first I was frustrated about that. And then I finally decided to be okay. I reframed it positively, you know, and I thought, you know what? That's good that I know that now. Now, that's not everything. Uh, what is that line from Tommy Boy when he's in the elevator with Dan Aykroyd, Chris Farley? And he says, uh, Dan Aykroyd looks at him and goes, you smell a little bit like pine tree perfume, kid. Uh, or no, he said, he, said, he said, you smell a little bit like a, a, a pine tree. And he says, it's actually an air freshener. And Dan Aykroyd says, great, step one, identifying it. Step two is washing it off. So <laughs> it, step one is being aware that you're addicted to the phone. Step two is actually doing something about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But you got it. You can't get to step two without getting to step one. So I did learn something. Um, I probably also learned that that feeling, that drive in you that I got to post and I got to, that if I'm not, I'm like taking steps backwards and I'm not moving my life forward that's just good to be aware of. And I wouldn't have been aware of it if I hadn't turned it off. So they were just things that, things that I just wouldn't have learned if I hadn't done it. But that's the whole point of fasting. But it's interesting, it you know, because, uh, I mean, I started the conversation this way. It would be very easy to say if we only got rid of our phones. That's right. Then all of this stuff goes away. It's this, what you're talking about is so much deeper. than that. Y You would find something else to distract you. I well, mean, you would... I think. I, think I mean, just, when I was writing Didn't See It Coming and I was talking about some of these problems as well, I thought about, you know, the world we grew up in, which is, uh, I'm a few years older than you, but pre-social media. And everybody knew a kid who had a dad who worked a 12-hour day. Exactly. Came home, went into the garage, worked on his 68 Camaro. Exactly. Which was never done. Exactly. Just so he could avoid his family. Everybody knew a mom who... Stayed after church talking to everybody that was at church until it was too, until they were having to close the building down and then came home and started getting lunch ready or working on her own thing or getting, doing activities in the community or whatever. Same thing. Avoiding, Avoiding whatever they exactly. needed to address. Exactly. Yeah. It's a human problem, not just a technology problem. I think so. And that's what's tricky, Carrie, is that has technology made it more difficult or less difficult? I don't I, yeah, and it's I, not going away. It's not. And it probably is more difficult now, but 
to your point, it's always been there. There's always yeah. been. If we want to cover up, if we want to mask, if we want to avoid, we're going to find something. What's the cost of not turning down the noise? So I think this is what motivates me most. Uh, I think from a personal standpoint, you miss the best you. You know, you lose out on becoming a better version of you. I mean, the thing that is standing in between you now and a better you is whatever emotional disturbance that you're feeling that you're not paying attention to. And so if you would pay attention to that, work through it, process it, address it, confess it, uh, you would get better. I would say the ability to care for others. You can't care for others well if you're not caring for yourself. Uh, Especially if you're in a, you know, the pastoral world, any customer service type industry where you're having to care for the needs of others, you, we all know that it's the starving baker. You know, it's the one who's always making bread for somebody else, but is not feeding themselves as well. So taking care of your soul sometimes feels selfish, but of course it's not. It's putting the oxygen mask on first so you can care for others. Casey Graham, mutual friend of ours. I went to his staff, his, uh, he took his whole staff to Cancun to an all inclusive and invited me to come do a session. Amazing. I get there and he's like, thank you so much for saying yes to this. I'm like, Casey, I've never said no to being invited to an all-inclusive. Yeah, all-inclusive. You know? so, with you. With you, just so, so you know. the one he hired, like, the dude from Semisonic to do a private concert? Yes, yes. I'm it messaging was, him on that. It I'm was like, remarkable. Seriously. Yeah. You yeah. didn't just run into these guys. Yeah. It was Semisonic he, and he, Tonic. He, he planned the, It was remarkable. But he's, he, he's he did crazy. a talk for his staff that yeah. was so good. And his line was, personal growth is not just personal. Which I thought, what a great line. And, it, and he's so right that oh, that's personal great. growth is growth for your spouse and for your kids and for your coworkers and your boss. I mean, any, any growth of you is going to be growth for somebody else. And so learning to care for others well requires you to grow personally. I would say l- being able to have a vision for your life, a vision for, you know, it is so hard to not let everyone else control our career. When you need to be controlling your career, yeah, God's controlling your career. Yes, move that just a second to the side. You need to decide what is your vision? What is God's vision for your own life? And don't let your boss tell you what his or her vision is for your life without asking yourself and asking your heavenly father, what is your vision for my life? What should my vision for my life be? And if you don't turn down the noise, you can't answer that question, I don't think. And, And then I think lastly, learning to hear from God, I think is at stake. I don't, I think... What I've learned about noise is that God rarely yells over the noise. He seems like the kind of God that's not going to compete with our noise. You know, I don't disagree with you, but that is a really fascinating insight. It just feels like if you want to turn it up and just be distracted, he's He's patient enough to let you until he's not. And then there comes a moment that we've all seen in other people's lives where your spouse blows up and says, I'm done with this. Your boss says, enough's enough. You've lost your job. Or you implode. You implode and lose your job. Or your bank account is empty because your distractions are so expensive. Your kids say, enough's enough. I'm done. There are those moments where the noise gets so loud, and then all of a sudden there's perfect silence. Then you're going to have some quiet. And then you have the forced solitude. And you usually, in those moments, I've experienced it in my own life. I've experienced it with other people, certainly in the world, in the industry that we're in. It's in those moments that you do often hear from God clearly. But you don't have to wait till then. You know, you can, you can do it now. You can turn it down now. So that's, yeah. my, uh, that's what I think is at stake is um, 
he's got something he wants for you. He's got something that he wants to say, something he wants to do, something he wants you to know. Why not turn it down and listen? And I think it'll make you, it, it will certainly make you a better leader, but I think it'll just make you a better person. Anything else you want to share with us, Clay? I think that's it. Um, we've, I've got an assessment that people can take. Oh, great. I would love for people to take that. If you go to howtolead.com, howtolead.com, there is a simple distraction assessment that will allow you to figure out just how distracted you are. It might be something worth doing with your team to let them have some conversations around, well, how distracted are you? I'll tell you how distracted mm-hmm. I am, but you got to share first. <laughs> um, and then it'll, I think, just hopefully uh, there's some uh, ideas and things you can try on how to turn the noise down. But it's just a resource that we've created to try to help people figure this out. And the book is called? How to Lead in a World of Distraction. Awesome. And uh, probably it's out by the time this thing airs. Hopefully. That would be great. Hey, Clay. Yeah, thank you. You're about to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I you're appreciate welcome, it. Man. I appreciate you. And next time, who knows, when you're back, maybe two bags of chips. Like two bags? A two-bagger. This, this podcast, two a two-bagger. Bagger. <laughs> this could get really lucrative. You know that, That's Clay? Right. That's right. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as always, that was a great interview with Clay Scroggins. And uh, just so you guys know, hey, uh, there was slight error in the URL he told you to go to. So you should go and check out howtoleadonline.com. So if you want everything Clay talked about, go to howtoleadonline.com. Dot com rather than how to lead.com. Okay, so just head on over there. Plus, everything is in the show notes. So you can just go to kerrynewhoff.com and search Clay Scroggins. You'll see it there. And uh, well, Clay's been on a few times, but I know that this conversation really, really helped me. I hope it helped you as well. Well, it's always fun to get together with Clay Scroggins and so helpful. Guys, you can get the show notes, including transcripts for this conversation at kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 292. Sometimes we do video. We don't have this one on video because I recorded it live backstage, but you can get our archive of a growing number of guests on YouTube. Just search for Carrie Newhoff or the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. You'll find lots of episodes there with people like Nona Jones from Facebook, Michael Hyatt, Max Lucado is coming up. He will be there. Christy Wright, Sam Collier, Ken Coleman, Kevin Jennings, Sean Cannell, Les McEwen, all on uh, Facebook. So, Uh, And that's a fun part about being able to do this for so long is we just have so much fun creating a leadership archive for you. And of course, if you subscribe, you get it all for free. So coming up, we got some really, really cool guests. And the next episode, I am back with uh, a mutual friend of Clay and mine, Jeff Henderson. He's the lead pastor of Gwinnett Church, and he has a powerful book on business and why most organizations are narcissistic and how to get out of that. Here's an excerpt from my conversation with Jeff Henderson. Well, you've got to have great customer service. You know, if you take the, again, my former life in the quick service restaurant, customer service is the fries are cold. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's a coupon for uh, a new fry. Free fries. Hopefully will be warm. That's right. Customer engagement is, oh, Dana, congratulations on your engagement. Congratulations from your friends at Home Depot. And when I talk to, to big brands about this, the pushback they get is they, they'll say, Jeff, I totally agree with that, but how do I do that for everyone? That's why I love what our mutual friend, Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And, but, but it's not just one person. When you do that for a Dana, that kind of customer engagement, engaging with them on their, on, in their world, she tells other people about you. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get Dana to talk more about Home Depot than Home Depot talk about Home Depot.
So that is happening next week on the podcast as we move into October. In the uh, meantime, make sure you check out the good things happening at Remodel Health. Go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry and get their church buyer's guide and put some more money back into your mission. It's free savings and better benefits for your staff. And then don't miss out on the Future Forward Conference. It's coming up, uh, well, real soon, like next week, October 1st through 2nd in the awesome city of Pittsburgh. I'm going to be there along with Sam Collier, Lee Kreicher, and many others. Go to futureforwardchurches.com forward slash the conference and get in before it is literally too late. Hey, thanks so much for listening, guys, wherever this finds you. I am so grateful for you. If this helped you, leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.